Uh, last week, uh, we read uh, from the prophet Jeremiah, uh, as I shared this morning, and we read a difficult passage. God was confronting his people, sharing with them his, his anger uh, over the fact that he had been teaching them over and over and over again, and they weren't listening, they weren't responding to his discipline. My people have turned their backs to me and not their faces, he said. Though I taught them again and again, they wouldn't listen or they wouldn't respond to discipline. If you think about that, it's a little bit of an alarming truth that, that God's people, that people who have tasted of the goodness of God are capable of turning their backs to God. It was true of the Israelites. It's true of us. We are capable of turning our backs to God. And it happens slowly. So slowly that, that we don't see it. It's just decision by decision, slowly, imperceptibly, we can turn our backs to God if we are not listening to his correction. Maybe it's a, a decision that, that, you know, you know what God wants you to do. He's been telling you it for a long time and you just keep putting it off. I'm not going to do that thing. Or maybe it's a, a decision to yield to that old familiar temptation just one more time without even so much as a fight. Or maybe it's a, a decision that, you know, I, I think I could participate in this thing that would stretch my faith, but maybe be a little inconvenient, so I, I don't think I'm going to do that. Or it might be that decision you wake up in the morning and, and you know I, I ought to spend some time with God as I start my day, but but something else gets in the way, and so it's just one day. I'll get to that tomorrow, or I'll get to that next week. Maybe it's a decision to withdraw from the people of God. We've come through a season where we've been forced to withdraw on some level, and, and there's some people who are still withdrawing from the, the community of faith. Now, all of those decisions in isolation, any one of those decisions doesn't seem like that big of a deal. It's just one little decision. It's one quiet time that I've missed. It's, you know, one, one stumbling on some familiar sin. But all of those isolated decisions begin to compound upon one another, like, like debt compounds. And it's not long before God says to us, you've turned to me your back. And we think, when did I turn to you my back? Well, all along, all those little decisions, you've turned to me your back and not your face. And I've taught you again and again, but you've not been listening. So that was the, the last week's sermon and, and scripture. And I invited you, if you were here last week, I'd invited you to consider what's maybe one thing, one step that God might be asking you to take to, to turn your face more towards him. And now we are seven days past that invitation, and I think it's a good time to check in. How's it going? Now, as I say that, I, I wonder there's probably some of you that, that were here, and yet you didn't take that on. For whatever reason, you heard the challenge, and, and you didn't take that on. And, and I, I would just invite you to, to consider where is that reluctance coming from? Where is that reluctance to to get into action and take a step that you know would be good for you, that would turn your face more towards God. Maybe you heard that challenge and you did get into action this last week. 
there was something that you said, you know, this is what I believe God's calling me to do, and you did it, and you've already experienced the fruit of that, and, and, and it's been good, and, and I want to say praise God and keep it up. And then there's this other category that I would imagine is probably a lot of us. We determined to get into action, and we took some steps to get into action, and almost immediately we ran into resistance. We ran into some, some difficulties and some challenges. Maybe it's a, a new habit that we wanted to establish, and what we found is new habits are hard to make. Maybe it's this, this sin that has been a, it's had its thorns in our life for a long time, and we said, you know what, I, I've got to get serious about rooting this sin out in my life, and, and we found ourselves stumbling once again to this familiar sin. If that sin is a, a, something that of an addictive quality, a physical, psychological addiction, it's tough to break that pattern. Maybe it's something that you felt like God is calling you to do, and and yet it's going to require some courage. And you just struggled mustering up the courage to follow through on what God is calling you to do. Maybe you, this is the irony, maybe you feel like, you know, I'm finally wanting to turn my face towards God and I'm experiencing more resistance than I've ever experienced. It's almost like I'm under spiritual attack. Like the, the, the arrows are flying. It's not supposed to work this way. Why isn't everything just lining up for me? So the thing I want to uh, assure you of this morning is that resistance doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. Resistance is to be expected. God desires you to turn your face towards him. The enemy desires you to turn your back to him. There is a battle. The battle is real. And so this morning, we're going to continue on the same theme. How do we fight through that resistance? And, and we're going to turn to a passage from the New Testament uh, in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. And join me as we pray for the reading of God's word. Uh, Father God, we thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, we know that your word um, meets us. Uh, where we're at, and so I pray that that would happen today, that through the power of your word, you would um, begin a work of transformation uh, in our lives, even though we may not see it, that you would get in and you'd already begin to, to start changing us. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. This is Paul writing a letter to a church that he's planted. Do not be deceived, he writes. God cannot be mocked. A person reaps what they sow. The one who sows to please their sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So the passage begins with Paul saying, do not be deceived. And the only reason he's writing those words is because he knows that the people are being deceived. 
It's not like he is writing, hey, church, don't be deceived. Uh, chocolate chip cheesecake, it tastes really good. Like, no, duh. Everybody knows that. Don't be deceived. God will not be mocked. And he's writing that because the church is being deceived. And they're being deceived by thinking that they can do whatever they want. They can have these actions and there won't be any consequences. When we take one small step away from God, my guess is there are not lightning bolts that come down in your life. Or you don't break out in boils like Job did when you take that one small step away from God. And likewise, when you take that one small step towards God, you probably don't hear heaven's applause. I think heaven is applauding, but you may not hear it. Life continues, whether you take one small step away from God or you take one small step towards God, life continues. It doesn't really matter. That's the lie. That's the deception, Paul says. Don't buy it. It might seem that way. It might seem like it doesn't matter whether you take a step away or a step towards, but don't believe it. Actions, your actions, have consequences. James wrote about it this way. He says, when desire, those unholy desires that live in all of us, when your desire conceives and it conceives because instead of taking captive that unholy thought, you nurse it. When it conceives, it gives birth to sin. And then when that sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. Uh, in our men's group of several years ago, I remember Tom uh, shared with us this, this saying, and I've remembered it ever since. It says, so a thought Reap an action. Sow an action. Reap a habit. Sow a habit. Reap a lifestyle. Sow a lifestyle. Reap a destiny. It all begins with this thought that we just nurse, this unholy thought. Instead of taking it captive, and the next thing we know, we're reaping a destiny. We don't see it because it happens so gradually. Now, I know... That sounds pretty alarmist, these words about destruction and, and destiny. And what I can also say is I, I, I can almost hear the voice of the serpent back in the garden whispering in Eve's ear, did God really say you won't die? Like, come on, Eve. You can do this thing. You won't die. Do you really believe that what he's telling you is true? It's nonsense. It's just a bite. It's just one tree like all of the other trees in the garden. If only there was somebody else whispering in Eve's other ear, Eve, don't be deceived. God will not be mocked. Actions have consequences. Now, unfortunately, Adam was there. He was there at Eve's side, and he probably should have been that voice, and yet my guess is he was deceived right along with her. Friends, I, I don't think that I need to convince you that we are easily deceived, because you've been in the battle, 
And you know when, when it gets hard how easily misled we are, how easily we get deceived we are. We can identify with those Israelites. God taught them over and over. He warned them time and time again, but they weren't listening. They weren't responding to his correction. They were deceived. And you can see how it happened. They worshiped a false idol once. And there was no lightning bolt from heaven. There were no boils breaking out their sin on their skin. So they worshiped a false idol twice and three times. And they came to the conclusion, we can just do this. And there's going to be no consequences. We are so easily deceived that when we hear God calling us, repent, turn, we're like the Israelites. We yawn. We just, we don't pay attention to it. We don't think that there's any urgency with it. Don't be deceived. I will not be mocked. The equation is pretty straightforward. If you sow seeds to please your sinful nature, you will reap destruction. That's what Paul is writing. And if you sow seeds to please the Spirit, you will reap eternal life. I know one of the ways that I'm deceived is that, I, hey, I think I've got the golden ticket. I've got Jesus as my Lord and Savior, so I'm good either way. But then pause and think, who is Paul writing this letter to? He's writing this letter to people who also had the golden ticket. He's writing this letter to the church in Galatia, and he's saying to Christians who, who have Jesus as their Lord and Savior, don't be deceived. You sow to please the sinful nature, you will reap destruction. We have some farmers in our church. I know we have a lot of gardeners. Every person who has ever planted a seed knows that there's this gap between the time that the seed is sown and the, the harvest appears. There's this lag time where it seems, just from... from observation, it seems like nothing is happening. Like that seed has been put underneath the soil and it seems to no effect. But undetected by us, what we can't see with our visi visible eyes, with our naked eyes, is that just underneath the surface of the soil, that seed is germinating. Like life is at work. And given the right conditions and given the proper attention, that seed is going to sprout. It's going to pop through the surface, just this little sprout. And it seems so little. But come back in a couple months, and you're going to see these eager farmers and these big machines, like, ready to plow down the harvest. And it all begins with this seed. Friends, the, the seeds that you and I are sowing today, whether they're good seeds or bad seeds, whether they're moving us one step closer to God or one step further from God, those seeds are not inconsequential. They matter. Actions have consequences. And so you wake up and you have that morning quiet time and you meet with God and you meditate on a passage of scripture and you bring to God your burdens and your, your confession and your prayer requests. And then you set on your day, and maybe it feels like that was just so dry. Like, I, 
I just did that, and I don't even know if anything happened. Friends, the seed has been planted beneath the surface of the soil, and what we have to know and trust is that, that God's at work. That seed is going to germinate, and, and given enough time and given the right conditions, there's going to be transformation. There's going to be growth. Conversely, you wake up, and you know, I, I should spend that time with God. Or I should do that thing that God has been calling me to do. Or, or you know, this sin, I got to get serious about, like, rooting this out in my life. And, and for whatever reason, you don't listen to the voice of God. And it doesn't seem like anything is happening, but make no mistake, the seed has been planted. And it's germinating. And the weeds will come. So this is why Paul writes, let us not become weary. It's so easy to become weary because we don't see immediate results. I've uh, tried to start a new habit this last two weeks of going to the gym. And I've gone every day, Monday through Friday. And, and I'm so proud of that. But I stepped on the scale this morning. And I'm actually heavier <laughs> than I was two weeks ago. And I can't tell you the discouragement. But you know what I'm telling myself? There's lag time. There, I'm in that lag time. I'm in that season of, of lag time where the, the benefit's going to come. Like there's going to be a harvest, but got to not become weary in doing what, what God is calling me to do because at the proper time, you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. Don't become weary. A couple of weeks ago, Nate brought in some mustard seeds for our children's sermon. And he showed them to the kids and showed them these, these little seeds and, and referenced this parable that Jesus once told. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and he planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all of your seeds, yet when it grows, and it will grow, when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants. So much so that it becomes a tree and the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. When you look at a mustard seed, you know what you don't see? You don't see a tree. You don't see this large plant with, that's ministering to all the birds of the air. You see this little mustard seed. Of what value is this little mustard seed? Of what value is that next step that you believe God is calling you to take? And I want to say it's of immense value. Because it's only in seed form, but there's something that God wants to do. I can't help but wonder if there's something inside of me, this promise of something more that God wants to do if I cooperate with him. And I can't help but wonder if there's something in you, something more that God wants to do if you cooperate with him. And I can't help but think for our church, for Crossview Church, if there's something more that God has for us that there's some birds that needs to perch in, need to perch in our branches, but we've got to trust them. We've got to get on board. I love what God says to his people through Zechariah. They've come back to Jerusalem. They've been in captivity. He's good for his word. He brings them back to Jerusalem, but when they come, they find the city in ruins, and the wall is just a bunch of rubble. And the temple has been destroyed, and they're overwhelmed. How do we possibly go about rebuilding? And the answer is one stone at a time. And through Zechariah, God says to his people, don't despise the day of small beginnings. 
begins with one stone. It begins with one next step. It begins with one seed being planted. There's a harvest that's going to come. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. So again, I'll leave you at the same place. What's the next step for you that God's calling you to take to just turn your face one small way more towards God? This is not a sermon in which the punchline is, hey, gang, y'all just need to try harder. That is not what this sermon is about because I've gone down that road and it, it fails every time. The, the punchline is not, hey, we need to try harder. The punchline is we need to turn more towards Jesus. That's what I'm talking about this morning. What's your next step to turn more towards Jesus? Because he's where the power is. He's where the life is. And if I can quote our friend Tara Lee Cobble, he's where the joy is. Let's pray. Lord, um, we thank you for your power. And Lord, you, we thank you that you are straight up with us, that, that you tell us to, to choose life. Uh, and, and as we do, there are, are consequences. And you also warn us about uh, when we choose death. So Lord, um, we thank you that uh, you have uh, planted your seed in us. And we pray now that as we take these steps to move toward, more towards you and those arrows start to fly and we bump up against that resistance, Lord, we pray that you would be powerful uh, in each one of us. And we pray for those birds that need to perch uh, in the, the tree, uh, that you might use this church uh, to provide a landing spot. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.